you today as we gather together on uh, fall kickoff. And before we even start, I, I, I want to point a personal privilege. Yesterday was my dad's 84th birthday, and he's back there. And it just so happens that we're having lunch afterwards. So, yeah. But as April said, uh, also uh, September 11. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and, and I think most of us uh, in this room, you know, at least those were um, adults at that point, we, we all have a September 11 me memory. You know, I remember I was, um, we were in a church in South Puget Sound, and it was Tuesday morning. And I got a call from my dad, as a matter of fact. And, and he never, ever, I think that's the only time he's ever called me early in the morning. And so it, it, I, I remember it. You know, it's like, I, honestly, I was worried because I saw their number on the, on the caller ID. And he said, turn on the TV. And an airplane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And I was just... I hadn't watched any news. Just, um, then I'd turn it on, and, and it was just as that second plane was crashing. And then a little bit later, the third hit the Pentagon, and then there was another that crashed in Pennsylvania. And I remember it just, everybody was in shock. We actually, in the church I was at, we organized a candlelight vigil. I don't remember what night it was. Um, but, but we did invite everyone Sunday morning. And we did everything we could. And the sanctuary was packed. It was crazy how many people showed up. And, and that happened pretty much everywhere, if you remember. Um, tons of people flocked to churches that first Sunday. And... Honestly, a lot of churches didn't really do anything. Uh, a lot of them didn't even address it Sunday morning. They were in a sermon series, and it was on their calendar. A lot of churches didn't really do much to meet the spiritual need of our country. And it's such a tragedy. You know, our, our church really tried, and we actually kept some people. They were really creative. That, they, they, they invited a group of, of Muslims from a local mosque to come and share. We had a, a Sunday school for about a month or so that they, they came, and we were able to have some interfaith dialogue, and it was, it was really interesting. Um, but I've thought about that time over and over, and whenever we come back to September 11, it's one of the things that I think of is how many people turn to the church that next Sunday, all over the nation. And then the next week, how many didn't come back across the country? And how many churches didn't even address it? And I was, I was so proud of, of, you know, that church's response. I wasn't here, obviously, but I, I'm so proud of this church's response. And, and they really, of course, uh, they did a phenomenal job. And as I understand that year's Living Nativity script was written around September 11 uh, in the, the drama. But so many churches, they just didn't do, you know, uh, they didn't address the need. And across the nation, people just didn't come back. And my goal is not to sound negative at all. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the stress, the need that we have. we got to learn from our past. 
so that we're better equipped for the future. And there is so much hurt in the world today. And Jesus birthed the church to be a beacon of hope in the darkest moments. And that's been a big part of this series we're finishing today. Uh, We've been looking at a very consistent theme throughout Paul's letters, right? This balance of faith and action. Like Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. (laughs) Only thing that counts. And I really, I wanted us to get that. You know, throughout this whole series, this is an important concept. Faith working through love is for Paul the only thing that counts It's in all of his letters. And next week, uh, we'll start a new series, and we're going to look at how we as a church have discerned that that concept might look like, faith working through love, Um, how it looks like here at Hillspring. Be called Becoming, um, and I'm really excited about this. And we adopted a new set of, of values back right at the end of spring, early summer, uh, Become connect, develop, and change. Uh, and, and really, that's how we've discerned. Galatians 5, 6 looks like here at our church, the only thing that counts, faith working through love. So we will become more like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit as we connect with the people God's put in our lives, as we develop meaningful relationships, and as we change our hearts and the world for good. So we're going to look at a different story every week through that series of a different biblical character and focus on a different value and and how their story really illustrates these values. So next week we'll look at the story of Paul. If you know Paul, uh, started out as Saul, became Paul. Uh, We'll talk about becoming more like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. The week after that, I'm really excited, our, our friend and our, our church consultant, Reggie McNeil, will be here. He'll talk about uh, connecting. Uh, on Saturday, he's going to leave an all-church workshop. You are all invited. Um, are you invited? Yes. Thank you. Yes, we're all invited. I'm excited for that. Uh, he'll lead an all-church workshop that Saturday, and then he's going to preach on Matthew's story, is the point, um, about how... We connect and how Matthew is an example from the moment he turned to Christ, uh, connecting with the people God put in his life. week after, we're going to turn to Peter and look at the story of developing meaningful relationships. And then we'll move on to the Old Testament and and look at Abraham um, as we talk about changing our hearts and the world for good. Actually, God changing our hearts and the world for good through us. So throughout that series, we're also going to share some interviews. I'm really excited about this, of people reflecting on these values in our church. And I want to give you just a glimpse of those and what's to come next series. That's a tough question. You know, God only knows, have I become more like Jesus? And I guess it goes back to, I know God is love. And I do feel like I'm loving more people and not just the people in my inner circle but really wanting to love people of different ages and circumstances and I think that's from connecting with the the women um, each week and just 
There's so many women in the older group, and not just the older, but that have a lot of health challenges or a lot of loss, and that just keeps my heart soft and just wanting to pray for these women and, um, and just knowing that we're gonna have struggles and we're not alone in that. It's actually more the norm to have struggles than to not when you're walking with Christ. Um, but we're stronger when we do it together. The small group has helped my spiritual walk by reminding me of the importance of community and having relationships that I can send a text message to any of those guys. Or, or I know that if something pops up or we need help, those guys will be there to, uh, to, to help us. Again, the importance of community. Women's ministry, it's an easy way to just put something on your calendar if you're faithful to go every week and it gives you an opportunity to connect with women that you may just feel too busy otherwise um, or just stay within your comfort zone or your circle of people. So it gives you that opportunity to check in with um, someone who's older and younger and a peer group and Otherwise, you might miss that opportunity to have them speak into your life or be able to speak into their life as well. Uh, so with our small groups, we've been able to connect with um, the church body. So in the past couple years, obviously with COVID, we were kind of not really close with different groups. We had our home family group. And so now with the small groups, we've been able to develop relationships at church. And um, it's nice just being able to see each other and be familiar and connect over things that happen during the week and just have an ongoing relationship in a meaningful way. I know that there are a couple of people that I feel closer to just get in terms of getting to know them um, through the work that we do at the mobile market. I think it, it changes your heart and it makes you appreciate what you have. You know, you, you look at other people and, and you don't criticize them or you don't judge. You're more patient with them. And my heart changes because it just makes me appreciate for, you know, what I have. And I know that what I have is, is because God provides mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that by giving up my time and contributing, it'll change um, my heart for, for sure. It definitely softens your heart for people and their situations. And like Jesse said, not to judge other people, um, but to feel more compassion, right? And when you feel more compassion for other people, um, that I think that makes our world a better place. Trevor Hollenbeck, our IT director, sent me the other day um, all of the all of the interview footage, and um, I was like, well, I could just not have a message, and we could watch that whole thing. It's amazing, and so we're going to partition it up over the weeks to come, but we will become more like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit as we connect with the people God's put in our lives, as we develop meaningful relationships, and as you know, God changes our hearts in the world for good. That, that's the goal, right? That, that's what we are all about. A people seeking to be more like Jesus together. Becoming disciples. Becoming the church. As we connect with people and as we develop meaningful relationships, our hearts in the world, they're changed for good. They're changed for good. 
And, and really, like I said, this is how we apply Galatians 5-6 here at Hillspring. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. That verse is like Paul's metric for the church. And we see that verse lived out over and over and over in the early church uh, through Paul's letters, but, but also the Acts of the Apostles. And, you know, one of my favorite, just this glimpse of the early church that we get from chapter 2 is so amazing. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And, and day by day, it says, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's how people saw the early church. That's how the early church was described. It's what they were known for. It's kind of what they did, faith working through love. The, the church, the early church, they were a family. And that was the point in, in this passage of sharing things in common. They pooled their resources. They took care of one another, they, especially the orphans and the widows. And see, that was the point of this series that we're finishing today. And I hope we understood that. That's what the church was birthed to be, a family a caring community, a, a living out Galatians 5-6, faith working through love. And, and this, this type of community, this family, it was completely different thing than the world had ever seen. And it grew like wildfire because it stuck out so much from the rest of the Greco-Roman world. Because this glimpse from chapter 2 of Acts, that's what people experienced so as the church continued to grow and to spread, that level of family, of community, of care, that remained their goal every time a new church was birthed. But it created a challenge. And we see it most clearly in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Acts 17 tells us the story of Paul's first visit to Thessalonica, uh, probably about 50 AD. We don't know exactly, but somewhere around there. And, and I want, really want you to read this story. It's just Acts 17 uh, this week. It's not very long. But right at the beginning of Acts 17, Paul and Silas, they arrive in Thessalonica. And, and they were only there for three weeks, it says in Acts. Three weeks, it says three Sabbaths. But it was long enough for Paul to start the church. And, and it came from mostly Jews that he converted. There were some, some, um, some Gentiles and some prominent women, but mostly it came from the synagogue. Because he spent a lot of time, Acts says, arguing in the synagogue that Jesus was their awaited Messiah. And ultimately, uh, this didn't work out well for Paul. And if you read in Acts 17, a mob actually comes together and they run him out of town. And they, they sack the house of his host. Uh, Jason was his name. But Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, at this point, they had to skip out during the night. They had to hightail it out during the dark. And then they went to Berea. And, and I want you to hear that story from Acts 17. This is verse 10 through 13. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to a Jewish synagogue. And we talked about this about a week or two ago. This is what Paul always did. Uh, these Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica. 
They welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God had become proclaimed by Paul and Berea as well, they came there too to stir and incite the crowds. So Paul not only had to hightail it out of Thessalonica, they followed him there, the Jews from the synagogue, and then he had to hightail it out of Berea as well because they, they were just so mad at him back in Thessalonica that they followed him and tried to incite crowds against him. Now I hope you get, that should provide a lot of clues about his experience with Thessalonica and honestly about the letters behind his correspondence with Thessalonica. Because most of Paul's letters, you know, we're we're hearing one way of a two-way dialogue. It's like listening to one part of a phone conversation. You don't know what's going on the other side. So with Paul, you have to do some detective work to figure it out. So Paul, only in Thessalonica for three weeks, had to flee in the middle of the night, left a baby church, just absolutely three weeks old, baby, 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 infant church alone in the middle of a city that was obviously very, very hostile to the message of Christ. The Thessalonians, three weeks of instruction from Paul about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about how to live as a church, that's all they got. They were alone. And they were trying to live out this picture that we get from Acts chapter 2 on what the church looks like. They're supposed to live together as a family. They're supposed to share life together. They're supposed to take care of one another. They're supposed to break bread together. They're supposed to worship together. They're supposed to pray together. This is what the early church was known for. Trying to live out Paul's metric of faith working through love. Trying to be a church behind enemy lines, is the point, without any instruction manuals. So Paul, Paul is very worried about them. So he writes a letter to encourage them to try and help with a couple particularly issues that he hears are going on in that church. And it has to do with this vision of sharing life together from Acts chapter 2. Starts to come out in 1 Thessalonians, but by the time we get to 2 Thessalonians, it's become a real problem. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he takes a very soft approach. But he becomes pretty blatant in the first or second letter. So I want to share with you 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to come back to 2. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, Paul writes, Now concerning love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do love all of the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia, but I urge you, beloved... Do so more and more, and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we directed you to, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders 
and be dependent on no one. Now, there's a couple things going on behind the Greek. Uh, I want to share a couple of those with you. We won't go into all of them, but there's, I, a lot of us know this. There's several different Greek words for love, right? And, and, and we've heard about this. Um, they describe different types of love is the point. So when he says love for brothers, it's Philadelphia, really. It's Philadelphia, uh, and that's the city of brotherly love. It comes from this, uh, you know, this concept of love that family had for one another is the point back in the ancient Greeks. It means family love, concerning family love, Paul says. And, and here again, this is an Acts 2 vision. Church is family, and the family shows love to one another. So in 4.9, Paul says, you don't need to have anybody write to you to explain families are supposed to love one another. Obviously, God taught you already. You came predisposed to love one another. They did a good job on this. And so the Greek word in the second love is agape. And so he's saying, you, you, you need to agape one another. And agape, we probably know, is like a selfless love. Paul is describing a love that frankly takes care of the other at the sacrifice of the self. So he's saying the church is a family who loves one another with a self-giving love. Which was the chapter 2 Acts, right? I mean, taking care of one another in fellowship. You know, fellowship in Greek is, is, is like koinonia, and, and it it's, uh, means sharing. We may have heard that word as well. So Paul is urging them to continue living in a way that they're taking care of their, their, each other like family, loving family. And then he adds a couple things, and I just think they're fascinating. He says, by the way, live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as I directed you to do. So people outside the church see you behaving properly... And they don't see anybody being dependent on another person. And the more you think about that, that's just odd, right? Why would he say that? And you probably wouldn't even think anything about it until you get to 2 Thessalonians. Paul probably wrote 2 Thessalonians a couple weeks to maybe a month after he wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians. We know this. And he wrote it in response to some news that he heard that was going on in the church in Thessalonica. And this little issue that he kind of skirts around, it becomes a big problem. So listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from believers who are living in idleness, not according to the tradition they receive from us. For you yourselves know how to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone else's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day and night so that we might not burden you. This was not because we didn't have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. 
So there is a very fine line that Paul is trying to get them to walk here. And frankly, they're struggling. But they only had three weeks. I mean, I don't think it's their fault at all. Because they got this picture from Acts 2 of a church being like a family, living life together, sharing together, taking care of one another. And and this family, uh, to the point in Acts 2, they pool their resources, right? I mean, they're going to take care of everybody. The infant church in Thessalonica is struggling to live out this vision of community. And the church at Thessalonica, they're, like I said, the brand new infant baby Christians, very little guidance, and they're trying to live out this vision of shared life. And there's a problem. At least some of the members of the church are basically saying, wow, I just show up and these people feed me. I just show up and they take care of me. I, I, don't, I don't need to work anymore. This is awesome. This is great. These people are wonderful. And Paul says, that's completely missing the point. This is not how Paul wants the church to act, but it's definitely not what he wants the the people outside the church to see as one of the main behaviors within the church. And especially in a city that is already hostile. I mean, they're beyond predispositioned to be hostile to the Christians at this point. They're going to be looking for issues that they can see from the outside and make a deal over. And Paul knows this. So the New Testament, it teaches the church is supposed to be a family. We're supposed to take care of one another. We're supposed to help those who need help. Other members in the family, but frankly also people outside the church. It's throughout the the, the New Testament. It's kind of what Jesus did. But Paul is saying here, the church is supposed to figure out how to help people without hurting And that's a completely shameless plug for our new small group curriculum. Yes, it is. I know it is. But it's so pertinent. It's really, really is pertinent on so many levels. Because we all need to learn how to work together. And we all need to know how to learn how to live life together and, and, and share and work together. Life in church, becoming more like Jesus as we connect with the people God's putting in our lives. As we're developing meaningful relationships, uh, real healthy relationships is the point. You know, whether it's our neighbors here, right next to us, um, across the street, or in Honduras. uh, But when these things happen, our hearts, the world is changed for good. Become, connect, develop, change. And we're going to talk about those in the weeks to come, like I said. But for today, I think we really need to just grapple with the importance that every one of us needs to bring something to the table if we're going to be a New Testament church. Over and over, Paul uses this beautiful metaphor of the church as a body, right? And every single part of the body is important. And they all have a function. And the head, the hands, the feet, the heart. Every part is vital. You know, God has given so many gifts to this faith community, this family. 
What gift has God brought to our church through you? And are you allowing us to become the church that God is calling us to be? Or are you not sharing those gifts? And please don't misunderstand me. You know, Paul is, is coming down hard on a problem that we do not have here. Uh, uh, that's not my point. But I think there's a huge message as we celebrate fall kickoff. And we, we, we think about, like April and Trevor said, the one thing that, you know, we're all going to bring because today is a celebration of our call to be in ministry together. Small groups. Stephen's ministry, you know, men's, women's, children, youth, kids. We, we have so many things. I am so excited about our health and wellness ministry this fall. And, and I, I've heard, you know, over and over since I got here, one of the first things they told me, you know, the thing you got to know about this church, the one thing, our church was built on basketball. I've heard this over and over. It's not, it wasn't the worship. It wasn't any programs. It was because we played basketball together. And you can see that. I mean, we made a big investment before I got here in, in just the gym facility alone, right? This is something that's really important in the DNA of our church. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'm pretty good at a lot of sports. I suck at basketball. <laughs> I have never been good at basketball. My dad will attest, you know, I, as much as, you know, my, my, I had family that were great. You know, my cousin was amazing. But, um, but I, I got my own things. And... Uh, <laughs> Because there's so many other ways that we can continue to connect and develop. And not that we're going to throw back a basketball. Please, don't, don't, Craig's back there. Is, is, he's bringing kids into basketball all the time. Yeah, and we got a lot of that going on. But health and wellness is the point. Is, is so deep in our DNA as a church. Every time we've done any type of you know, um, uh, church survey, it always comes up as an incredibly high value and it should, because frankly, our bodies are a gift from God. We need to take care of them. And, and we really want to develop our health and wellness ministries this, this fall. And we're trying to schedule a variety of classes, uh, kind of three times a day, actually, Monday through Thursday. Uh, one is when uh, people drop off their kids at preschool, but also coinciding with the local schools. And then when kids uh, drop off their kids for the afternoon class, at preschool, and then we're also going to have uh, classes in the afternoon, late afternoon, when people are getting off work. And um, if if you are like me, and those those times do not fit, I'm I'm going to lead a slam ball class Tuesday and Thursday at two o'clock. Be there, be square. You know, I didn't play basketball, but I lifted heavy things growing up, and so we can. We can do this. We can do this. Yeah, you know, I worked on a farm, and I loaded airplanes. And, yeah, when people talk about, you know, loading dishes or, or doing dishes at a restaurant, I'm like, well, I threw, you know, engine parts into your Samsonites. And they do break. <laughs> but we have a lot of stuff in our health and wealth. These are opportunities for us to, to connect and, and to develop is the point. And we have our bike ministry, and we have, you know, after school. We have so many things. Eastgate, um, our, our mobile markets at Eastgate, you know, we'll continue with those. I'm really, really, really excited. We're starting a whole new chapter in East Kennewick, and, and we're just starting this, but we have an amazing opportunity that you're going to hear more and more in the next couple weeks to come into, um, through this fall. But, but we're looking at a community building in East Kennewick. And I am 
amazed at what God is doing here, and it's going to facilitate our ministry and presence in that area. And if you remember back, or if you weren't here, you know, at one point we were going to, we applied for a nonprofit, and we were going to have an after-school program here at the church, because, you know, we had this amazing facility, and there's kids all over, and I, I, I learned so much on this. We, we were pursuing it. It was awesome. We had staff ready, and then we prayed. And that's not how you should do things. And as we prayed, we really heard God say, no, you know, um, is this really the place in this entire region that has the highest risk kids that need help with the least amount of people who are trying to help them? And we did, um, we, we blanketed the area, we talked to uh, police, we talked to community leaders, we talked to school leaders, um, and it was obvious it was over in East Kennewick. That's how we started over there. And we've done so much, and, and, and uh, God has so much more for us at this point, because we really have developed some, some amazing relationships and we built trust, and I think God's calling us to an entirely new chapter at this point, and you're going to hear more about that in the fall. But the big deal for today is, there's so many ways to join, but are we joining? What's the one new thing, just one new thing, that, that God might be calling you to try or to join this fall? Paul wrote the Galatians that the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Only thing that counts. And last week we heard, you know, Paul writing the Romans that the church is like a body. And, and if a body is going to work properly, every part has to do its part. What it was designed to do. Today I want us to hear from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Reminding us, we all need to be part of that work. There shouldn't be any free lunches, although we're going to go have a free lunch in a couple minutes. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Uh, you saw some excerpts from some videos, and, and I just can't help but share this one that, that, um, from Robin Maria. This is a really, really good So if you want like uh, an enriching experience, uh, maybe draw closer to God, but also become more aware of, of places that he wants to fill. I think it's, it's important to find um, some kind of connection with church. You know, there's, there's been times where I've been skeptical and been like, hmm, no, that's not for me. Uh, but then I step out in faith and I think God recognizes that, just that willingness to step into something new and different. I think it's easier as we get older just to become kind of comfortable with the way we've done things. Uh, there's value in doing that new stuff with somebody. So you share that experience with somebody, whether it's somebody in the small group or somebody that you might know, um, but just a personal, just for self-growth, try something new and then that you can share it with somebody and then you guys can talk about it uh, and then, then share your experience with other people and then other people can also um, glean, glean from that excitement and maybe they want to try something uh, new as well. So then that's what I would say. Try something new, personally enriching, especially those of us that are getting a little older, we get kind of stuck in our ways, uh, but coming from more of an extroverted side, share the experience with somebody, do it with somebody, and then bring people with you. Hey, 
celebration of community. What is the one new thing that God is calling you to experience this fall? As Trevor said, we, we have sticky notes. They're, they're all a different color. This isn't, you know, we're not asking for social security number and bank accounts and everything and making sure that you're going to do this. But I do want to give us an opportunity um, to, to put these on here. And then we're going to, after this, uh, we're all going over to an awesome lunch. It's going to be Italian and there's going to be, I know, chicken parmesan. There's going to be a lasagna, something else. Salad. Gluten, yeah, there's some gluten-free thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it, like I said, this, it is a free lunch. I know it's kind of ironic after the, you know, I try to have everything coincide with the values, but just joking, just joking. But as, as the worship team comes up and we start um, our closing song, I really, really want you to just prayerfully listen. How is God calling you into this fall, because uh, God is calling us as a church together in amazing, amazing things. And we really want you to share. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for call. Thank you for new beginnings. I thank you for the opportunities you give us yet again to become more like Jesus through the work of your Holy Spirit. And as we have these opportunities to connect and develop Lord, change our hearts and this world for good. In your son's name, amen.